0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Trading Desk. As always, my name is Joshua Thanos and I'm your host today. Uh, Today my co-host or my guest is a familiar voice and a man who's very knowledgeable on the topic of the day and that is Manjos. Mike Manjos, how are you?
1: Oh, it's great to be here. I love being your co-host, guest, whatever you want to call me. Um, I don't know about very knowledgeable on the topic, but it's an interesting topic so I think it'll be fun to uh, you know, see how much we do know about this stuff, but it's great fun.
0: Yeah, well, you're you're knowledgeable, or at least you pretend to be knowledgeable on a lot of these uh, <laughs> A lot of these topics. It's always, so
1: always pretend.
0: Yes, yes, it is. So, uh, well, okay, I appreciate that. And today's topic, if you guys haven't seen the title yet, uh, that is, so most of the watches we talk about are going to be Swiss watches um uh i'd say what 99% of the industry essentially is swiss watches uh but there is a uh a small portion of the industry that is uh that was started in germany and and those are the watches we're going to talk about today i guess it's germany switzerland and japan are the three main places where where you know luxury watches are made so uh Correct. i thought we would do I mean, a if, deep dive
1: if you think yeah. back to you know 25 or 30 years ago, there was really no such thing as a German watchmaking industry. Um, You know, Germans were known for their cars, and the Swiss did watches, and any decent watch had to be Swiss-made, and then, you know, it's evolved, and now, I mean, when we started looking into uh, this topic and talking about it, uh, I didn't even realize how many brands now... Um, come out of Germany. We actually tripped upon a couple uh, ourselves that, you know, didn't even realize. But um, it's interesting to see the development and how far it's come in 25 years.
0: Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, I, you know, I, you've obviously been around for all this time. You know, I wasn't there back uh, the 30 years ago that you're <laughs> talking about. I wasn't paying attention to watches. But um, but yeah, so uh, even just with my experience in watches, I was surprised about some brands that we know very well that are that were started and are headquartered in Germany so it's it's really interesting um so well let's let's start with this like a slight overview so I guess when we talk about German watches oh actually what am I talking about let's stop we already we're already trying to pass up the uh <laughs> the most important portion of the show which is the wrist shot. wrist so, check uh, exactly yeah my apologies my I got, my apologies. Your, I got ahead of myself
1: mind. exactly got off yeah. his game
0: yeah, clearly. So, all right. So you go first, Manjos.
1: Um, I actually switched up yesterday, and I'm wearing my Batman um, mm. back on. I was wearing the Deep Sea for the last couple of weeks uh, by the pool, and uh, for whatever reason, just decided to change it back up to the Batman, which, again, is everybody, anybody who knows me, uh, is my typical daily driver. Um, yeah. Um, I do break out the Deep Sea a lot for summertime, but it's uh, this is definitely my most practical most beloved watch and uh you know you can see it very clearly if you look at it to death
0: yeah looks like a a watch that maybe brian godberg's been wearing for a while (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah and and for guys who don't know Manjo's or don't know which one he's talking about he's he's referring to the 116710 um oyster batman the discontinued piece that went at one point was trading for like 16 i think they're down but what are they trading at right now manjos
1: um. Actually, they're running right around fourteen now, fourteen five, uh, for a okay. good one. I mean, they had gotten as low as twelve, um, right, in COVID times. But they definitely yeah. have seen a nice bounce back.
0: Yeah, and it's funny. Actually, as off-topic, I had a conversation with someone yesterday about about the COVID prices and about how things dropped and how they've they've already bounced back so quickly and, and how bizarre that is. You know, we uh, we were we were kind of taken aback. I was looking at the different. Uh, different models. And I see that, you know, almost every single model has bounced back though. We saw what, what I believe would be like a correction in a lot of the models that shouldn't be as high. So like when we're talking about like $11,000 Submariner, I, I don't believe they're back up to that price point again, are they?
1: No, but they're pushing it again. And I don't understand that one never have, Ruff. but I mean, we really have seen what they're talking about in the economy is a V recovery for sure. I mean, it went down fast and it's come back fast. Yeah. And I think well, that's, faster than the anything world. we've ever seen.
0: Right. Yeah, without a doubt in the watch world. Obviously, some portions of the economy are still shut down and all that. And we'll see. I guess the future is to be seen. Uh, but I thought it was it was really interesting how, you know, for basically two months, there was a like a 10 to 15% drop in value. And, and then now they've already bounced back. But um, I digress. Um, so today I'm wearing what I believe, I looked through all my watches, uh, what I believe is my only German watch or German... Uh, it's not fully German the, the movement was made in Switzerland but it's a STOA so ah, I don't know if you have yeah I've, I don't know if you have any experience with STOA I have
1: very little Sto- experience with STOA except for you know I know they made some of the Lufthansa watches right. um, you know the German Pilots watches which I'm sure we'll mm-hmm. touch on because that was a big part of the industry um, you know obviously on the wrong side for us but uh, you know Pilots yes. watches were a lot of these companies survived uh, during the war um and are collectible to some extent today i mean i've had a uh, you know a few of those watches uh, on the pilot side which are really cool big um and i know stoa was one of those that made that kind of stuff
0: yeah uh, yeah stoa is a uh, it's an interesting brand um a little bit on the lower end so we don't really trade in in stoa uh, at watchbox but uh they are you know, pretty tradable. There's there's plenty of buyers out there for Stoa. You can see them on eBay and Chrono24 and places like that. This one's a Flieger Chrono. It has a 7753 Valjoux movement, which um, not German-made, Swiss-made, right? Uh, right. <clears throat> um, not the most reliable watch. I've had to get it fixed quite a few times, um, so I don't know if that if that just speaks to this watch or the whole industry. Well, it certainly speaks to that that.
1: watch because one of the things I was thinking about when we were talking about this subject is, you know, one of the things you actually think about when you're talking German manufacturing is, you know, super quality, um, Mm -hmm. durability, and, you know, not needing service. I mean, fit and finish um, is certainly something that we always associate with uh, German watchmaking. Um, And this is, I would think, no exception. Um, you, know, you would Most hope. of them are you know, super durable, super well-finished. super. You know, it's kind of that feel. And the one thing I love about German watches, especially most of the brands we'll talk about today, is they don't try to be Swiss watches. I don't feel like they've tried to just knock off Switzerland. I think they've got more of a Germanic feel in most cases. I mean, you know, you've got so many Fliegers and Chronos mm-hmm. and you know, beefier watches, a little bit heavier than what you typically see on the Swiss side
0: right so yeah i agree so uh and, and just to round off the the wrist shot so this one's a flieger chrono it's an unsigned dial uh, i believe it's still a it's still in production through the brand um i want to say it's like yeah 2200 hundred dollar retail with the automatic uh trades probably around a thousand dollars or so it's a it's a great if you wanted to get a, a chronograph and you're not sure if you're really going to wear it and you don't want to spend a lot of money on you don't want to go buy like a Twenty-five thousand dollars for a steel Daytona that, and then you turn out not wearing it. Um, getting into one of these types of, of watches, and, and there's an endless amount of German chronos. Uh, again, you know, airspeed is a big deal. A lot of these watches were made for during the war, and so they're making reproductions of these, you know, pilots' watches. So you can get it, get this one um, automatic or or manual wind, um, and you know, it's uh, I barely wear it. It's forty-one millimeters. I think I've worn this thing shoot i don't know 10 times in total uh i'd say it's, it's a little thick but it, the way that it fits the way that the lugs are are constructed it actually sits nice on my seven and a quarter inch wrist so while uh it, it's probably thicker than it might even be thicker than some of my panerize my manual but the way the the way that the the lugs sit in the middle of the case and not at the bottom, it actually fits pretty well. And and you know what? I might end up wearing this for the rest of the day. I might post it on Instagram today too. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah,
1: you can save it for yeah. IG love too.
0: Right, exactly. Good loom on it too. But all right, so that's what's on my wrist. I have a German watch. I think I believe it's the only German watch that I have in the collection. Um, and I think it was fitting for today's discussion. So, so let's let's do this. All right. Um, German watchmaking. Uh, I mean, there's. It, it goes back you know hundreds of years um, but when we think about German watches I think the number one brand that any watch collector thinks about would be Long Son right? Correct.
1: So again, Long & goes back to the 1800s. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, It's just it's a brand that again um, was super high quality, um, famously sure. known for pocket watches. Um, during the war, was obviously making uh, watches and got bombed out the last day. Dresden got bombed out the last day of the war, and the company got taken over uh, by the East Germans subsequent to the war um, right. and the divided Germany. Um, and they lasted a couple of years and then faded away. They got taken over by the East German government and you know, made a few things probably into the 50s and then went away um, until... The wall came down in 91, and right. I believe it's the great-great-grandson, Walter Langa, um, went back and re-registered the company, and took him three years, um, and brought in some talent from what was then IWC. Um, mm-hmm. A couple of the guys came over from IWC, um, which again, right on the border, Schaffhausen is right on the border of Germany, so you're you know spitting distance to Germany there. Um, right. And they started, took them three years to develop these watches. And the watches that they developed were very cutting edge. Um, and when I say cutting edge, in a very German way. I mean very practical, very well built, incredible amount of handwork, um, but very different than anything that was being made at the time. Um, you know, the Longa one, obviously they were very creative with their naming. Uh, the first watch we make yeah. oh longo one <laughs> very good Good job guys you know Germans do not famous for their sense of humor or you know creativity but you want to right. build something quality you talk to a German so I mean you know that's certainly what they did uh, but it was an eccentric design for its time you know an off-center dial was not something that was popular. The big date was completely innovative at the time and really changed the industry. If you think about how many brands today have a big date, um, you know, it's such a common thing and a practical thing. So they, they took these very simple concepts, you know, manual wind, easily read, um, you know, a beefier case, so fairly durable, um, but never really went into sports watches until recently. Um, right. And, and just that's even debatable. That's honestly, debatable, exactly, steel. exactly. But they really did these watches that were very different than anything that was coming out of Germany, I mean, out of Switzerland, but with a super high quality standard. Um, and right. the concept of you know assembling a watch twice, um, because any fool can get lucky once. Uh, but, <laughs> but, no, this was the concept. And I mean, I've had the, the luxury of being able to go there four times. I mean, it's the, it's the most I've been to any manufacturer. Um, and it is just an amazing place because the pride they take um it's it's cultural um they're very different than the swiss that i found um you know it's it's very much east germany so i mean you're basically you know over to the czech republic it's not what you think of you know they work crazy hours they're totally committed but they also were fun to hang out with and go out at night and, you know it's a cool culture and they're just the pride that you find in langa and especially in that part of east germany there was nothing there in 91 Um, I mean, it was, the country was basically, you know, five steps below their Western counterparts, and they definitely didn't want to be, um, you know, they want, they, it was such a pride that they took by building this, that it was incredible.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, so, Longa shows that, and I think that there is something to be said in terms of, because in Switzerland, right, there's no, when we talk about Swiss, there's what, there's Italian Swiss, there's, uh, German Swiss and there's French Swiss, right? Right, exactly. Like, very
1: much so, because again, it's a very small country that's bordered by you know all these different countries. Some, yeah. So it's the influences you get in different areas are very different.
0: Right. So Geneva, where most of the watch brands are based are headquartered out of and and you know where they uh, where they they manufacture out of that's Swiss. Uh, that's French Swiss. French Swiss. And right. You're getting right. You're getting a very different. So like for example, even. A guy like F.P. Journe, right? Which Long and F.P. Journe are, are, for some reason, are, are kind of paired in terms of the same breath. Which is funny because, I mean, one's independent, one's not. Um, you know, one has a long history; one's a, a new style watchmaker that didn't start his brand until 1999. But, but in terms of collectors of both watches, I think a lot of it has to be has to be said because of the the um, they, they both share a super high level of quality. But you couldn't get more different watches right no um, very
1: different watches and i think that has to do with the culture and the people making them i mean um, right. and that's kind of one of the awesome things i love about german watches is you can feel where they come from there's a passion they have there's a way of doing things i mean obviously you know germans are famous for being stubborn and you sure. know they are not flexible <laughs> 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 and that's kind of cool when you're building something i mean we are going to do it a certain way And it's not always. If you went in and logically understood what they were doing, you know, some of it doesn't make sense. I mean, when you take a very simple, low-end longa, you know, their base model retails around fifteen thousand dollars. The Saxonia, exactly, the thin. And if you examine that movement, it has the same fit and finish on their $100,000 piece. There's no possible way in the world they can make money on that watch because I've been there (laughs) and I've watched these women who sit there and hand finish every part on a table, on sandpaper, um, and do it, you know, for hours on end. I mean, the amount of labor and handwork that's in every watch um, is incredible. There's no possible way. They finish the above, they finish the below, they do it in such a way, but... If that brand is on it, they has to be a certain level, which to me is awesome. Now, the other thing I love about them is the, they have an uh, engraving room there. And the last time I was there, they have six engravers. Helmet runs it. Um, he introduces himself as number six. Uh, <laughs> he was the sixth employee ever hired by the new Langa. <laughs> Um, and like, where is that with a badge of honor? Like you couldn't believe, but any longer you bring in that building, he can flip it over and in 20 seconds tell you which one of the engravers did it. Wow. And I mean, to have a piece that's, you know, has handwork to the point where you know, the man or woman who built your watch or had a piece of building your watch is pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that goes to like, to the heart of, um, what do you call it? That, that goes to the heart of the uh, um, the idea of, of buying, like, you know, handmade watches is that, that literally there's, that's, that's one of the reasons why I think people like Jorn is that, like, they know that it's every single one of those watches has gone through his hands. So when you think about it in terms of a brand that's owned by a large conglomerate, it's hard to say. I mean, so Longa makes about, what, four to 5,000 watches per year. Yeah, right now. Is, I mean,
1: they made about, I think yeah. they peaked at probably 6,000, but that's really about it.
0: Okay. Sure. And, and it's and it's a uh, it's a very interesting um, idea because they run themselves almost like a uh, like an independent, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Tim always says uh, when talking about Longing, he's like, you know, I hope Richmond doesn't realize that they own the brand one day and then try to like, you know, try well, to it's just themselves. the
1: opposite that. I mean, they actually um, Rupert, who obviously owns the group. Um, treats it as his independence and runs it as an independent brand, unlike every other brand that's in Richemont. Um, Longa has full autonomy. Longa gets left alone. It is his pride and joy. Um, and like I said, I don't can't imagine it's profitable.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, know, that's the thing. That's about the, being no, uncompromising, right. right? Exactly. And that's one of the ideas of 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 German watchmaking. It seems like, or it feels like, at least that you know there's not a lot of comp- a compromise especially from r- from a brand as high-end as as, as longa so yeah. how many employees would you say that they have uh, like in their factory in clushu?
1: Oh, that's a very good question. If you have to take a guess. I would say there's probably I know they had 80 something finishers when I was there. I would say there's probably wow. 3 to 400 people.
0: Okay, wow. So yeah, it's probably so if to put that in perspective uh, that's probably what double the amount of employees that WatchBox has. <laughs>
1: exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, they're turning
0: out, you know, for us, uh, four to 5,000 handmade, hand finished watches in, in the sense that, and what, what I love about longa too, is that when they talk about hand finishing, they're finishing lots of parts that will never see the day of light or the light of day. Exactly. They're not going to, that the only person that's ever going to see this, this piece finish is going to be the watchmaker that disassembles this watch for, uh, for, for, um, servicing again, so the customer will never see um, all the all the little um, you know uh, areas of, of finishing, and they still do it because they just they're not going to compromise.
1: Correct, and that's what I think I love the most about them um, is that passion, and you see that. I mean, the thing that's interesting is their headquarters is in Glashütte; it's about uh, twenty minutes to half an hour outside of Dresden. Um, and okay. Dresden is a beautiful city that they've rebuilt almost to original. Um, even in the years I had gone there, you could see the, the number of buildings, the churches that got rebuilt, uh, and to the original designs. I mean, incredible what they've done over there. Um, but then you go to Gleshoot, and I mean, literally, it's, I don't think there's a traffic light. And I mean, there's two stop signs. I mean, it's, it's a little nothing town. There's one road. Um, you know, on the side of a mountain and you just, you blink right through downtown and, you know, the biggest building in town is Elanga and some. And the second biggest building that's three buildings down is Glashut. And, you know, the third biggest <laughs> building is Nomos. I mean, it's just, it's a street of watchmaking. But the tradition on the mountains there was that that was the watchmaking area. Um, so, you know, the stories that come out was when they announced... Uh, Langa coming back people were showing up on the doorstep saying, you know, my grandfather was working on these when they closed and brought back pocket watch movements like, can I finish them now? You know? <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy stories and it's anybody who's in that area works in watchmaking. I mean, I don't think there's a couple thousand people in town so they all come from the surrounding valley um, but it's really a cool area and it's cool just to see the, the number of doors right there Um, And even like Wempy, you know, great retailer, great German, they also manufacture their own line right there. I was lucky enough to go to the observatory, there's an observatory that they run that runs a clock over there uh, that I got to go with, with one of the big muckety mucks at Wempy took me there when we were on a longer trip, it was great fun. So we were just tooling our way through the town, but it's just, uh, it's a great little place.
0: Right. Yeah no it's well, I mean I yeah you've seen all the videos and, and you know the design and, and I've had people like my father's vid- visited uh, during Oktoberfest and said how amazing it was so definitely I recommend like Oktoberfest so much I was
1: at, the last time I was at Langa was uh, for Oktoberfest <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> way too much sure fun to be it's had. A, yes it's a blast. It is a blast I'm not even a beer drinker but I I'd probably I probably adopt the uh, the beer drinking. For that trip because i don't think you can go to germany without drinking. no it's, it's just, just
1: having the, girls carry over sharp. you know 20 beers to your table it's makes it. you happy how, how do you not smile
0: like <laughs> <laughs> well, you can use your chronograph to time it also but uh so Zen is an interesting uh company because i when i think of Zen i think of dive watches right too yeah no very much so they i'd say about half their line is dive watches right they do a lot of chronos but i'd say half their line is is dive watches too so you know, there's, uh, Germany does not have a huge coastline, um, you know, their, what, their, their coast is, uh, it splits between the North Sea and the Baltic Sea, so they don't have, they're not open to any oceans, really, um, and they have a, not too much coastline, so most of it's landlocked, and I think that's one of the reasons why you're, you see more about land and air sports, uh, in terms of their watchmaking than you do, um, you know, dive watches, because I don't, if I had to take a guess, I'd say the North Sea is probably not a place you want to go swimming in. <laughs> Same as the Baltic. It, it might be a little chilly. That sounds so just like it's it in, about right. I actually have
1: no knowledge of that, but it sounds <laughs> like I'm going to – you convince me on that one well, for sure.
0: Well, put it in perspective. So if I talk about some of the other countries that are uh, that um, have coastline on the North Sea and the Baltic, you're talking about the U.K., which I don't think is famous for, for beach sports, no. Norway, Sweden, Finland – uh and denmark so these are all those are not uh, places we're american, going to go hang think...
1: out for exactly
0: well yeah not on the beach you know you're, you're not you're, those are not beach vacations in my opinion again I, as a as a stupid american i don't know uh <laughs> I, is I, i'm just something we guessing. share it's very well by... as stupid
1: americans yes right. we'll go to the amalfi coast thank you very much and we'll <laughs> <laughs> go to the greek
0: islands yeah, uh, yeah. there's plenty exactly. of better places to go yeah, to the i'll beach. visit the family Exactly, right. So uh, but so that's if I had to guess, I think that's probably why you're seeing mostly, you know, uh, aeronautical and, um, and Car inspired watches as opposed to sport watches as opposed to a lot of dive watches But so Zinn is a great brand again. So that's a great entry-level brand I mean, you could find Zins for a thousand dollars, you know, pre-owned on places like eBay and things like that You know it, most of the Zins are going to be um, You know under ten thousand dollars in retail price and, and I'd say the majority of them are probably <coughs> under seven uh, so you can get a great sport watch from a, a brand that has that's been manufacturing since the 1960s, and has its style of its own too. Like I, I feel like Zen is not out here knocking off other. They're not. They don't. They're not making a Submariner. Uh, no. it, when they make their um, their dive watches, right? It's all. They're very much themselves, and I think it. Uh, Zen for for the most part, shares a lot of what we talked about: minimalist dial designs and angular cases.
1: Absolutely, the other one I think of on the lower end which I think is has some nice stuff and reason to live is the Tutimas It's another yep, Glechus right. brand Tutima, Tutima I don't know how you're even supposed to say it but, I don't know, um, I don't
0: either
1: Again, they're classics, um, beautiful pieces you know, nice price point point. Um, and again, specialized in those chronographs or automatics great DNA, you know, everything's a Flieger this, and a Pilot's Chronos you know, <laughs> no, no, no. from the 40s No, it's cool stuff I mean that's really the history, and again I think dollar for dollar they're great values. Uh, you don't see a lot of them come oh, to yeah. the states. I mean I think most of that you know stays in Europe, uh, which for many oh, no, years no. was Longa's issue. I mean Longa's you know distribution was ninety percent German for the longest time, because um, again Germans are super proud, and wow. anybody wanted the German watch, um, that's where they kind of started their thing they were very then they kind of creeped into the u.s um when i started trying to go after long as a dealer um there was only two dealers in the u.s and they were both in new york city you know it was Wempe and Cellini. um that was their whole distribution in the in north america and you know it took me almost three years of writing letters to to get in the door um And then eventually, we were one of the biggest Longa dealers in the States because I had two doors, and, you know, it was growing quickly, and, you know, the high-end pieces, we were very good at selling, and that was kind of the fun of it. Um, But again, it was especially early on, um, and, you know, my thing was always uh, you sold Longa to your paddock guys. So, you know, the guy who had four or five paddocks back in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, you know, it was very difficult to get a 5970, you know, some of the pieces that were special and the 5004s were application pieces, you could wait two years, you know, paddock was on fire. Um, So, you know, I couldn't deliver you this $100,000 paddock, but there was some amazing 70 or $80,000 longas that if you put side by side, fit and finish was there. And that's really how they got a foothold was, you know, shortages in paddock in the U.S. Uh, kind of opened up the door for Longa, and I think Langa did spectacularly well next to Patek. And, you know, w- one of the things we always talk about is how Vacheron never, you know, or hasn't been hot in the U.S. in a long time. And I think part of the problem right. is, you know, pa- Vacheron always kept going to paddock dealers, and when it was side-by-side to Patek, it didn't sell well because it felt the same. The look was the same, the quality Without was the, prestige the same. prestige of the name. And it didn't have the prestige of the name, so you'd defer to Patek. Whereas Longo was sure. a completely different feel. I mean, if you put a Longo on your wrist right. and you were used to wearing a paddock, it was heavier, it felt solid, it felt, you know, the term I always used was Germanic. You know what I mean? It felt sure. like it was made like in that. Germany. Um, you know, it's kind of like when you close the door on your BMW or Audi. I mean, there's a certain solidness to it. That you feel the difference. You know, it's not like it's, you know, other cars are wrong, but there's...
0: Different than the Toyota. Yeah,
1: it's just heavier. It's, (laughs) you know, it's heavier, it's solid. You know, it's just how they build.
0: It's deliberate. Deliberate, yeah. No, there was no intention to
1: make it delicate. Um, Right. And I think that's one of the reasons that the Germans have done so well in the watches is is, uh, not trying to be what others were and not try to, like, you know, oh, I'm not going to make something that looks just like a paddock or feels just like a paddock. I'm going to go completely different, make these kind of outlandish complications, which is if you think about, like, you know, why mm-hmm. does anyone need a double split? You really don't, but it's super cool. <laughs> and if you're ever what worn a one triple a, split, seat, no? No? a triple split? Triple split. I mean, triple split. You triple know, split is very useful. Very <laughs> useful. I mean, it's something I've been waiting <laughs> all my life for. Um, mm-hmm. Site work was another one. I mean, it was just a, right. you know very bizarre concept in 2007, you know, when it first launched. And it was like, and they invited us to Germany to, to have that launch. And I mean, it was really pretty cool. Um, and again, stands the test of time, because these watches that they came out with, which were very different than anything anybody else was making, um, have really stood up because of that. And again, uh, they still don't trade the same way that... Some of the Swiss brands do. Right. I mean, there's no question about it. Don't so pretend that, otherwise. I mean, it's not a Jaun or a paddock when it comes to the secondary market. Um,
0: well, that's what. I, that's a question I wanted. To, I want to talk to you about and explore that a little bit. And in, in, uh, you know, question is why do you think that is? You know, you're getting. They make far less watches than paddock, right? Oh my they, God! I mean, paddock, they make if if we we to, maybe
1: a tenth, ten times less, at least ten times right. less, if not fifteen
0: times right. less. So, I mean. And Rolex, I mean, let's not. I mean, there's no comparison, right? Uh, Rolex is a factory, and and you know, uh, 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 Longa is a workshop, essentially, right? So, um, and why do you think? And and I, if I think about any German brands, I don't think of a brand that that holds value. Even even Seiko and Grand Seiko has such a following that there's some models of of both Seikos and Grand Seikos that sell at or above retail pre-owned. So they have some value there and, and, and well I guess the one that comes to mind now when I'm when I'm addressing this is I wonder because I haven't seen it personally trade is the, the new steel watch from Longa maybe that one yeah we'll have maybe but demand. I mean if you
1: think deep um, the lumens, <coughs> lumens basically trade at or above retail
0: okay um, all right fair, fair enough right so, so those are the very limited
1: that. pieces you know all limited editions all special runs um, some of the Honda's works so th- you know um, also do there So they're getting there slowly. I think the reason is, um, one, they've never done a great job with marketing. Um, right. Again, they don't really understand it. They don't really... You know, they're just thinking the Internet's going to... might actually hold. Uh, you know, right. they never really had a social campaign. I mean, you just don't sure. see any of that stuff that tends to brand build these days. Uh, I mean, if anybody could figure out the secret sauce that Rolex has, man, you know, you'd be a millionaire. But they've just done an amazing job creating that brand. Um, and Paddock has done a great job. But even some of the Paddocks have seen you know, softening in certain areas. Um, I think manga right. could take off. But again, think about this also. I mean, it's a very young brand in the scheme of things. I mean, it's 25 years old. Now, Jorn you will right. argue, is the same kind of thing.
0: Uh, well, Jorn's probably about ten years younger, right? He started roughly in two thousand, whereas roughly in two thousand started up again in nineteen ninety. Yeah, I mean, right. so it's
1: probably somewhere. You know, again, whenever you decide the the start was for Jorn, it was eight or ten years right. difference um, after. Right, but I mean, you know, they're certainly a very well known brand at this point, and I think sure. more and more well known. Uh, but they were also coming from a place that. You know, wasn't known for watches. So, I mean, I kind of equate it to, you know, when I was a kid, um, and again, yes, I I like to tell you I'm old because I am, but um, when I was a kid, it was, you know, Datsun, you know, was like the the new thing and nobody was really sure they wanted the Japanese car. Right. If you think about it, you know, and, you know, we changed it to Nissan and suddenly nobody looks down on a Japanese car anymore. But for the first number of years... I think the German thing was looked down upon by a lot of, you know, oh, it's not Swiss, it doesn't have a Geneva seal, you know, these kind of things were still out there now. I think we're long past that point, but I think it certainly slowed them down a little bit to get serious credibility with collectors. And I don't think they've done a nice job managing the secondary market. Um, You know, people forget that the biggest buyer of paddocks in auction Was paddock for decades, and decades they bought their own pieces back, and it was genius. I mean, they spent millions upon millions upon millions and made millions upon millions upon millions by doing that. But suddenly, every auction that came up with a rare paddock brought a big number.
0: Yeah, because well, you're fighting against paddock. Correct. And then now, yeah. So they. They created demand i mean some people want to call it artificial or whatnot but they did create demand and, and i think that a lot of people's well that's what spurred this what you're seeing now i feel like it, in terms of the demand for rolex is the is the uh auction result for the paul newman right that's kind of where all this started in 2017. yeah i, mean, I think already, i think you're absolutely right here. i think there.
1: that took us to a new level without a doubt and that's a great point that i forget sometimes was that you know Everybody thought Daytonas were cool, but nobody thought they were seventeen million dollars
0: cool. Uh. Right? I still don't. Nobody does. But. <laughs> no, except the guy who bought that, which may or may Maybe not be not Rolex. Anymore, you know, they, they could, they could be the genius. It could be the genius. But no, I mean, well, from what I know about Rolex, I don't think they really care. I don't think that they're kind of uncomfortable about how uh, how in demand a lot of their watches are. They would have been. They would have been very happy to be able to. You know, just sell everything they have without like you know multiple year waiting list for everything. So, yeah, it's not um, something
1: they want to do, without a doubt. And I think I think it's an interesting concept, and it's a wait and see kind of thing. I mean, I'm a I'm very bullish on the German brands, especially Lange, Obviously, I mean, you know, anybody yep. knows me knows that's probably my favorite brand. Um, and it's probably right. just because of knowing oh. the people and the passion. Um, you know, there's something cool about. Being there and getting that feel. Um, I was lucky enough to take two client trips there as well. Um, And anybody who goes there comes back and it was just like, I have to have one. Um, (laughs) And God willing, buying it pre owned (laughs) because it's a great value. Um, Right. But I think that's the other thing is, you know, there's an advantage to the secondary market not being strong, you can get in at a reasonable place Um, and you protect your downside. I mean, you know, if you're paying so, I mean, money on something and then, you know, you want to sell it down the road, it's going to take a few years to come back.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Totally. And I well, I say I think so my view on why the brand doesn't is not uh, it doesn't have as much demand, um, you know, to outweigh their supply is for a couple of things. Number one, the pricing that they have, their watches are probably over engineered, which is creates a great value. But like you said, you know, there's Saxonias that they don't make money on. I don't think that jorn or paddock makes a watch that they sell that they don't make money on right that's i think that you know their business uh even rolex right there's no watches that that any of these brands make that they don't actually make money on you know at at, at whatever price point that they have it listed for whereas i think that you know for the saxonia they underprice it but a lot of their pieces their price points are uh, their retail price points are so high and they're and i'm sure that there, there's a justification for it in terms of the, the amount of hand working and whatnot, but there's so few people who care about that specific aspect of it, and they're not willing to pay up for that. Does that make sense? I think that
1: definitely makes sense, and I think it also happens that um, they were never cheap, but back in the late 2000s, um, you know, there was a lot of currency... Issues and you know the, sure. the strength of the dollar and the euro against the Swiss franc that they had a I remember having them having three price increases in eighteen months um, oh, yeah geez. and it just got to the point where it's like guys you know when we first started you know a longa one was you know seventeen eighteen thousand dollars and you know before you knew it it was thirty right. um, you know right. there's a big difference. You know, more than 13,000. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like in your head, it's kind of like there's a value right. constraint. I think that to your point. Um, like, I look at the yeah. data graph today, and like we sold a, a, a rose gold dado this week for the low 30s. And to me, like,
0: yes, that's, oh, that's a right. I was bargain. talking to about that one. You know watch. what I mean? I mean, that to me is a yeah. bargain for what well, you're getting. To be fair, that watch did, didn't have papers, but even still, even I mean, still the amount of that watch. Even if you like that watch banged up at that price point, is it just seems absurd? What's the retail on on a rose? Well, the new one. I mean, again, the, you're
1: talking the, about? The, they probably stopped at about sixty, but I mean, the new version is in the eighties, right? You
0: know, which I mean, I'm sure there's a justification for it, but in terms of the market and what people are actually valuing these things for, I don't see it. Like people are not looking to buy. Um, they don't. Ha- they're not looking to spend eighty thousand dollars on a watch because the pieces you can't see are, are finished. You know what I mean? So they're they're not they're not making watches. They're making watches for themselves. I feel like which is, <laughs> which creates such a great value. You, you know kinda, what I'm saying? Like, I it's, mean, I gotta. It's, it's you idea. nailed it there. I mean,
1: without a doubt. Right. And again, I can see the faces. It's like Tony is, you know, the Tony the to me is a super underappreciated watchmaker. Yeah. Who's the, you know, head of technical development. If you think of the things that they've put out, um, you know, it's amazing, but it's not his name on the brand. So it's different. Um, Right. But I just think they're totally making stuff for themselves. Uh, And because I don't think this is is pressure from the brand and from the group to make money or to, you know, to do any of that stuff.
0: Right. Which is fine. I mean, listen, man, they keep, keep doing what you're doing. we we'll, we'll, we just get a tremendous value on the, on the resale market. I mean, these watches are selling for half of their retail and they're so, so far and above most of the watches in those price range in terms of the level of finishing and complication that it's great. But if, you know, I, I think that the demand would be there if they were to look at who they're selling their watches to, because in the end, obviously, there's so, There's something to be said about making watches without compromising and making them for yourself, but you are selling these watches, right? These are not. These are not pieces that you're buying. You're you're creating just to keep for yourself. I mean, it's a business. So you know there would be if they were to look at it as a whole and realize, all right, well, let's make watches that people like to wear, right? That more people like to wear. We can keep the same level of, um, of engineering and finishing, but we can you know, gear it towards people who want to buy them. I think that they could, they could add a lot of prestige and a lot of brand equity. And I think that the brand would get, there'd be, it'd be a wider audience, which is good for everybody. When there's more people buying that, those watches, there's more people understanding and then it's an all boats rise. And I think that Longa has an opportunity to, um, or, or even, even like bless shoot, because in terms of the watches, the amount of watches they make, they probably make about the same. Um, uh, but they have an opportunity to kind of raise the entire a profile of German watchmaking because they are at the forefront. I mean, and then you have, and one thing that we didn't talk about is, is some of the independents, like some small, very small independents. Because, you know, right now, I feel like independents are the king, right? So you have Zorn, which we talked about multiple times in this conversation, but there's so many. You have um, Deb Bethune, well, you have Grubel Fosse, um, you even have Richard. The German
1: um, uh, Grossman.
0: Who's that? Right, so that's... What they, there you go. So you hit on the nail. That's exactly... I'm staring at their website right now, and that's who I wanted to bring up. So Mort's Grossman... <laughs> Look at that. They make about someone. 200 watches a year. Right. right. It, well, he makes about 200 watches a year, and it is... They're unbelievable, unbelievable watches. watches. But again, these are not watches that people are chasing, which is... It, it seems like it's... You know, they're undervalued. So again, like... So similar to a brand like Moser um, that, that makes just ridiculous watches, not on the level of Mort's Grossman. Um, you know, they're making a little bit a uh, uh, little bit more mass market watches, Moser does as opposed to Crossman but you're having hand-finished, hand-created watches with a, 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 a total German feel, right? And you're getting these watches for like, I'm looking at market prices on these things, you know, 10, 15, $20,000 for watches that, you know, it, it, but you're going to pay, you know, almost $30,000 for a steel date. Right. <laughs> so it, it, there's <laughs> tremendous value in a, brand, in a brand like this, you know, or if, even if you look... Compare like a Grossman to a um, – why is my mind blanking? Who's uh, – I think we're an authorized dealer for them as well. Um, uh, Ferrier or – Minimalist Design. Yeah, yeah. Laurent Ferrier. So so Laurent Ferrier, I feel like those are both on the I same I was going to say I would
1: um, think they're very – uh, right, very Similar.
0: Similar. Yeah. Right. And, but you're getting, like, uh, uh, Ferrier is definitely a, a French feel to it, whereas Mort's Grossman definitely is Definitely more German, yeah. Uh, uh, without a doubt. A, oh, my God. You get you get everything we talked about before. So you get angular cases, minimalist designs, and and really no compromise in a brand uh, like Mort's Grossman. And you're getting, you know, a beautiful dress watch. An unbelievable dress watch at, at a, just a tremendous value if you buy them at market price.
1: Yeah, no, they have some great stuff. I mean, I mean again... I, uh, there's so many brands i know when we looked through the list this morning there was you know 20 something brands that you know 29 29. brands i mean it's kind of crazy i mean i would have been able to come up with about eight or nine (laughs) yeah at most
0: and you have more than i do well one one brand that we didn't touch on and we'll probably uh we'll we'll close it on this is that there's a brand that is german that's very popular i'd say most casual people know of the brand as well not maybe not for watches but for other goods that they sell, but and I had no idea that they were that they were German and they were based out of Germany and that's Mont Blanc. I, I'm
1: with you. I would have. I did not have that um, at all. Uh, but we'll yeah. take it. I mean, and it's, we're we're an authorized yes, dealer for are. Mont Blanc, aren't we? Yeah. I just uh, I really that's crazy. didn't
0: know that they were. They're based out of Hamburg. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I I. I just assume that they were Swiss, uh, French Swiss, but they're, and, and they make some, they're uh, like really high-end pieces. With the, um, what type of movements do they use? Uh, again, I'm drawing... Minerva's, the points, um, for the pools. right Minerva exactly. movements, right. So they, right. For the, I mean, they make some really amazing pieces, but it's great entry-level watches, and they make watches for almost every, they have dress watches, they have sport watches, they have in-between as well. So, uh, but, you know, they're, it's weird, like, because I don't think about their watches as having the classifications of everything we talked about in terms of German watches. So, um, you know, but there, that's an, a great way to get into a entry-level German brand would be buying a Mont Blanc.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. It's a great one. I mean, I didn't think of it exactly until you told me this morning I did not have them as German. And some of their specialty pieces are very cool, without a doubt. Um, special movements, special, you know, all kinds of things. So I do like that as a German thing. Um, but again, there's so many little brands. Uh, Glashütte is another one that I don't think I pay enough attention to because I kind of always look down on it that it wasn't longa, uh, you know, being the snob. But they've done a really nice job, uh, again, at that value level that you talked about.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, there's there's so many of these. Well, the, the Nicholas Risset Chronos, which are again, like, I don't think Nicholas Risset was a was a German character, so you know, I guess they, uh, he was a French watchmaker, so I don't know if Mont Blanc, I'd have to do a little bit deeper dive into the brand itself and and do some more research, but I don't know if maybe they they don't really lean so much on their German uh, roots uh, in their watchmaking, because it it does feel more like a French company, and let's see how many watches they make per year, that's always interesting for me, how many watches does Mont Blanc make? By the way, guys, if you ever want to know how much uh, how many watches a brand makes, literally just Google it, and almost every single Google has compiled a Really? List and it's it's yeah. Uh, though it looks does not look like Montblanc. <laughs> Mont- <laughs> you can do it for. I did it for Moritz Grossman earlier today, and it told me 200. All okay. right. So that's uh, interesting. I just but, yeah, figured you had issue, all this secret I, I intel say,
1: that we didn't know about.
0: No, it's just a, just a Google search. That's it. Um, but uh, it, I guess, I, if I had to guess, I'd say a few thousand watches a year is what Mont Blanc makes. In terms of mechanical, quartz. I don't know. They make a lot of, I mean, you could buy Mont Blanc watches at, at the mall they they're <laughs> um, are low pieces. Are you degrading malls at this point in our lives? Well, I mean, these days, if you go to a mall, you're basically asking for Corona. So I'd say yes, I, I think i'm gonna, I think I'm gonna end up having a conversation similar to this with with our buddy Armand about uh Japanese watches oh, I would there's, love to listen there's to more that and more because like I have small brands exactly, that come up I and,
1: know very little on yeah. the Japanese and you know um, one of the things Philippe defour uh when I got a chance to sit down with him um, he was talking yeah. about he specifically talked about longa um, and specifically talked about um, some of the Japanese as to how their the fit and finish yeah. is just Better than some of the stuff he sees coming out of Switzerland, and you know that's a guy you got to yeah. listen to.
0: Without <laughs> a doubt, I mean the culture, the cultural uh, uh, similarities between the Germans and, and the Japanese and, and their history and whatnot. I think as and and their commitment to excellence and almost everything they do, I think it makes them no brainer. And I think that you know, it, it, 20 years from now, um, Japanese watchmaking is going to be looked at. The way maybe German or even Swiss is looked at now. So I think there's a lot. I mean, I've been going down the rabbit hole with, with Seikos. I have, I have a bunch of Seikos. I have some Grand Seikos. So I've been going kind of crazy with with uh, Japanese watchmaking. So um, I need to get a few more, uh, a few more German watches, <laughs> maybe. Um, but uh, but Japanese will be the next time. Awesome.
1: Well, this was great fun, man. I appreciate you having me back. Yeah. This was easier yeah, than I expected. Absolutely,
0: it's always a pleasure and. Uh, well, I mean, let's say we're just talking watches, man, just like anybody <laughs> else. So, luckily, you have some really cool stories to tell to fill all the silences. That I leave. <laughs> As my wife says, <laughs> I
1: can talk forever. So,
0: <laughs> yep. All right, listen. man. I just we'll, we'll go ahead and leave it at that, uh, guys. If you're if you're listening to my voice right now, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, on Spotify. Check out our YouTube channel, Watchbox Studios, along and Watchbox Reviews, which reviews is only Tim Masso's content, and then Watchbox. Uh, studios is basically everything else check us out on instagram i'm at mr thanos m-r-t-h-a-n-o-s mike is what mike yep. underscore manjos on on instagram so you can check out our our feeds you can reach out to us directly if you have any questions um, or want to talk about a watch and uh i guess we'll we'll see you next Perfect.
1: time all right man appreciate it stay safe bro. all right
0: Thanks. adios Bye. all right bye-bye